Hey, this is Dan Quiggle with episode 40 of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies podcast. A couple things before we get started with our interview. One, we're working on some great leadership resources and tools for you on your leadership journey. My team and I recently released a leadership ebook. I want to share with you a copy as a gift. You can head over to quigglegroup.com forward slash CEO disease to get your free copy. That's quigglegroup.com. Q-U-I-G-G-L-E group.com forward slash CEO disease. Two, if you are listening to this podcast on the go, getting it delivered directly to your phone by subscribing at quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes, you might be listening in the car, on a jog, on a plane, wherever. To learn more about links or anything we talk about in this episode of Garage to Goliath, you can get the show notes from this episode at quigglegroup.com forward slash Zero four zero. That's Quiggle Group Q U I G G L E Group dot com forward slash zero four zero. Thank you. We can't control other people. We can't control outside events. All we can control is our reactions to things, our emotions, our thoughts. So if we harness our focus on the things that we can control, we're going to have more inner peace, we're going to have more clarity, and we're going to make better decisions as a leader. So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group. That's what my show is about, learning from the best, how to be your best so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath Leaders Building Legacies podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. So my guest on episode 40 of Garage to Goliath, by the way, that's quigglegroup.com forward slash zero four zero, is a friend from down under, Rick Neuenhoven. We met through EO, Rick, thanks for coordinating some time zones and being on the show with me. Dan, it's a, it's a great pleasure and an honor to be uh, talking with one of the masters of leadership. <laughs> I appreciate that. So for my listeners, Rick, fill us all in. Who are you? What do you do? Yes, yeah, so obviously, as you said, I'm Rick Newenhoven. I'm the CEO of a company called New Vision. Uh, we're a, a fully uh, serviced accounting firm, so we offer the full array of financial services for our clients. So I've been I've been running and growing it since uh, 2004, and uh, it's a uh, sometimes a scary ride and sometimes a lonely ride, but sometimes a very exciting ride. So let me ask you, before that, though, I mean, tell, tell us a little bit about the journey leading up to starting New Vision. Yeah, so, uh, so I'm 45 now, and uh, basically I always had a, a dream of being a, uh, a, a CEO, and uh, um, so in high school, uh, I wasn't the best student, and... Uh, so I sort of got mocked a little bit about this dream and uh, got told it wouldn't happen. And uh, and uh, so I, w- I ended up training and being an accountant and, and doing an economics degree. And uh, and then from there, uh, I, I got some opportunities in the in the finance sec- sector uh, from more of a blue collar background. And uh, uh, I didn't like the blue uh, the um, the finance sector especially. So I went into a, a teaching career, teaching accounting and finance. Um, at tertiary level, and then and then from there, I, I still had an appetite uh, to run my own business, and uh, 
So in 2004, I, I started that. Uh, one of, I'm one of these unique individuals where, however, um, I decided on my business name before I even knew what my business was going to be. So uh, <laughs> always, I think it was a bit of destiny that I was always going to do it. So, you know, I think it's interesting. You said you were mocked in school. You didn't maybe have the best grades. Did, did you just channel that to make you want it even more? Uh, I think so. It, um, it just took me uh, a little while to find that inner belief. Um, so basically, uh, I, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to talk about it. it you know, I didn't, I didn't succeed at high school. Basically I failed the first two years. Um, and uh, I guess I, it wasn't a structure that really suited my personality. And, uh, and then also when I, I got my opportunity to go to uni, uh, the same thing, I, I sort of, I didn't pass the first two years of university. And, and so I, I really took stock of myself and it, I, it could have been easy to, uh, to lay blame on others, but really it comes down to me. I'm solely responsible for myself, and I just uh, I just reflected on what I was doing poorly and, and how I could change it because I only had one shot at it, and uh, so I changed my patterns of behaviour, and uh, and then the result spoke for itself. So then, so then you get into, and by the way, I commend you for that. I mean, just kind of taking care of business and not letting the past be the predictor of how the future is going to go. I think more of us need to kind of especially for young people, hopefully listening to this, you know, to say, hey, you can always change and you can always move forward and create opportunities for yourself. And and so what problem were you trying to solve with your company? I mean, you know, what's the big why? Like, what problem were you trying to solve? Well, really what I wanted to solve was uh, I want to, I mean, and my quest is still the same now, is uh, I wanted to, initially it was to try and help uh, people build wealth and, and it was primarily through reducing their tax that they pay. Um, but the Australian system and the American system is very similar where we really don't have the financial resources come retirement for a lot of our uh, community. And, and so the real passion for me and our whole team at New Vision is to, to really try and uh, improve people's financial situation that uh, you know, they have more choice when they want to retire and a bit more financial freedom compared to uh, working forever and with no guarantee of uh, a subsidised income. It could be a bit different over here to the States where, I don't know, you guys might have more of a guarantee pension, but in Australia it's uh, it's going to be it's 67 and pushing towards 70 before you'll get any government pension. No, listen, it's it's still a challenge, you know, here in this country, of course. And so that's it's good that we plan to make sure that we're prepared for all of that. But let me take you back for a second because, I mean, this is a big difference. I mean, you go from, you said, working in accounting and everything to starting a company. I mean, that's not an easy step, even if you've dreamed about it, even if you wanted it. So where do you come up with the money for that? Like, did you go out and, I mean, talk, because there are a lot of people listening, I promise you, that want to do something like this and they want to move and become their own boss. But it's it's you know what step do you take? Did you write a business plan? Like did you did you have the money? Where where'd the money come from? Like how did you start it? Yeah, so it was self started, and I guess we can even go back a little bit there. The, one of the prime motivations outside of a dream of mine was uh, I didn't really ex- accept the culture of the accounting firms very well. Um, it's a very oppressed system here in Australia, and uh, where middle management like to uh, suppress the people underneath them. Uh, with the lure of getting to that pinnacle job as a uh, as a principal, um, and so what I did is um, uh, I just crunched the numbers. I did. I created a, a rough draft of a business plan. Um, basically, uh, I had an idea of a location. I wanted a location uh, which was near middle income earners because that was my target market. 
Um, and uh, basically, I found a, found a shop that was quite affordable, and I, worked, I did the maths and worked out how much I would how, how many jobs I would need to do to, to break even in the first year. And um, I just took out a loan. I um, I couldn't get a business loan because it was a startup loan, and it's pretty conservative over here. So I took out a personal loan, and um, so I started off with a Amiga twenty. 20,000 and um, and I ground it out. I worked and full-time and did my business with the, the support of my business partner uh, back then. Uh, and then I, I slowly evolved the business uh, and learned a lot of lessons along the way. So you had a business partner. Are you still partners with that person? Uh, no. Uh, my business partner um, and I uh, separated two years ago, and um, which has been... Uh, uh, a bit of a challenge, I must admit, for the business, and, uh, and that's a topic in itself. But um, no, they were a fantastic contributor to to getting and helping me get the business to where it is today. Right, and so let me let me ask you this: what What did you envision for your company when you first started it? And and, and now, not not what it is now, but what did you think it would be when you started? So when I originally started, it, it was it was I just wanted to build up a uh, basically a base. Where, yeah, I was helping a core group of people, and I was having a secure income for my family. So, it, it wasn't really. Um, I didn't want to conquer the world in the first instance, and then uh, and as I, I kept growing the business, and then I, I sort of added in some services, which created an exponential growth um, to the business. And I started thinking, hey, I can uh, I can take this business um, further, and I could do a lot more. And and then my intent and passion continue to grow uh, to want to really help more and more people. Well, it's I read that your company's core values are you know the customer journey, you know unstoppable and, and teamwork. Can you talk me through each of those and why you chose them? Why they're so important and how they differentiate you? Um, yes, well, I think it's a little bit. We could think that customer journey is a little bit cliche and everyone talks about it, but. Um, yeah, you know, I don't think we uh, we place enough emphasis sometimes in business on the customer journey. And for for our business, because we've got uh, five independent units which all rely on each other, it's for us it's very important that everyone in our company um, is connected to the customer and wants to follow their journey through our business. But not only that, through the journey of their life, because. We're there to try and take them to an end goal, which could be to pay less tax over a period of time, to retire early, or have financial security for their family. And therefore, um, the customer journey is very important for us to all remember. And that's why it's such a strong core value, because if we're not living to that core value, well, then we're not doing our job to our clients. Yeah, and, and the, of course, the teamwork part is, is so big. How do you, how do you like to provide vision and leadership for the people you lead? Yeah, that's a, that's a very, very good question. Um, for me, uh, yeah, I like to talk about our vision uh, all the time, and it, and it might not be in a structured meeting format. Um, I don't know if America is different to Australia, but in Australia, uh, <laughs> uh, my teams uh, don't necessarily like excessive amount of meetings, but I like to I like to talk about the aspirational dream, even if it's one on one or around a coffee uh, with people, um, and even friends and family or anyone that wants to listen. I mean, it's just a, a real big passion uh, for me. So I find the vision itself 
is an evolving organism inside the business and sometimes it contracts and sometimes it expands and uh, but ultimately uh, people the right people in the business look to the leader and the vision uh, to give them the pathway and the and the security so first of all you brought up meetings no we don't like meetings either i think the only people who like meetings are the ones running them who get to talk the whole entire time <laughs> but the the uh you know, this vision thing I'm so passionate about just because I think that real leaders, you know, are able to create a successful vision, show everyone around them their role in it and what they get out of it. And so how did you learn to effectively do that? I mean, the storytelling, was it the storytelling part? And what methods have you tried that maybe didn't work? Yeah, look, it's it's definitely the storytelling for me. Uh, I know different people have... Uh, uh, different ways, and we've all got different ways of, of visualization. Some people need to draw it down, and, and ultimately, um, uh, it could be uh, that you have to draw it down for other people to see it. Um, for me, it's it's more about just talking about it, uh, brainstorming it, and and I'm a very vocal uh, audio based person, so you know I might talk to yourself and go, "Hey, I've got this idea, and this is what I'm thinking of doing." And then I'll use you as a sounding board, and um, and then I'll use my friends, and I'll use uh, staff in the business. Um, the risk is uh, with my system; um, it can be concerning for staff because uh, even though I'm only brainstorming because I'm the owner and the and the leader, um, they go, "Oh, geez, what's Rick want to do now?" And so they just uh, <laughs> imply have this implication that oh, this is what he's going to do, even though it's not necessarily true. I'm just in the in the in the creation stage of the of the vision, but obviously uh, I just like to talk about it. For me, it's all about talking and putting the and putting the vision and the mission statement uh, visible on our on our website or wherever we can. So you know, EO is such a great organization. I'm sure every time you go to a forum or you you meet with the, your your group that you have these great ideas. So I think there's a the difficulty is is seeing, you know, which ones do you really want to use? And so I always hear people say they'll come back from a meeting and they're like, oh, they're coming back from a meeting. Now they've got a lot of new ideas that we've got to pay attention to. Do you find that that from that organization, you, you get a lot of the ideas that help you within your company? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, EO has been great for me. Um, um, and I've made good friends, uh, you know, had a great forum. And uh, yeah, look, and that's probably one of the biggest challenge for me and I'm sure for a lot of visionary leaders, is controlling the ideas. And I think that's what can scare uh, the people that work around me um, when, I, when I start talking about ideas, uh, because um, uh, I know it's just an idea, but they, they worry that it's actually something I want to implement. And, and sometimes I, I do implement too many ideas, too many concepts. And uh, I'm it's a, it's a it's a good thing to have lots of ideas, but it could also be a bad thing because it can be distracting to us and uh, and can steer us in, a, in the wrong direction. So, uh, you know, one of my quests for 2018 is actually that uh, one of my and one of my slogans, and I've got a wristband on saying it is single-minded focus and and really stick to a focus and not let myself be distracted by too many ideas. So then that begs the question: What is the single-minded focus then? What what, what is the focus on? Yeah, so uh, the focus for me is uh, restructuring the franchise model. Um, so I had, uh, including the head office, we had five franchises in our system. Uh, I've, I've stripped that back to, to two. Um, but it wasn't working uh, as well, and I was sort of 
getting pushed back, and uh, and so therefore, this year is about the recreation of the franchise model and uh, and pushing that back out. So you are you are passionate about. Uh and these are things that you had written, you know, one, making the right decision under pressure, two, maintaining and feeding a success-oriented mindset, and three, empowering others with decision rights, releasing control. Can we talk about each of these for a second? Because I, th- I love these and, and the whole concept around each one of them. But, you know, one, making the right decision under pressure. What does that mean to you? How, how did you learn to do that? How do you coach others to do the same? Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's an interesting one, I guess. Sometimes uh, some of us are born with it, which uh, and some of us aren't. Uh, that's what I've noticed, and um, I think the key, the first key, is um, we have to focus on the solution. It might sound a little bit cliche, uh, but if we focus too much um, on the negative and on the, uh, it it just it brings us down and, and distracts us. And I, it's easy to do, and even I still do it now. Uh, but what we need to do is just focus on positive intent. And clarity in mind, and that's really um, that's that's really important to me. And so uh, I've, I do a lot of study and a lot of self development. And um, in some of my notes uh, I made here, um, you know, I've actually I've even gone as far as to to study the Buddhist philosophy. For example, I, uh, a year and a half ago, I went into a, a Buddhist monastery for for ten days, and 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 really just dug deep into the philosophy of the mind there. And uh, it's all about uh, Getting clarity of thought, getting peace of mind, and uh, and believing in ourselves and the decisions that we make. So ten days, wow, that's fascinating. Now I'm interested. So, all right, so yeah. clearing the mind. I mean, what what did you do for ten days? I mean, how did how did you how did that impact you as a leader? Yeah, it was amazing um, because uh, the ten days it was basically listening to the the teachings that they follow. Um, yeah, some people just uh, lose track of, uh, of Buddhism as a religion, but it's more for me. It's more a philosophy than a religion. So uh, we spent a fair bit of time meditating, um, and I think it's getting more and more popular meditation in the, uh, especially in the EO circles, but in the business circles, it's um, it's just fantastic for creating focus um, and allowing us to pinpoint our thoughts and controlling our thoughts. But the biggest takeaway. Uh, from spending the 10 days and listening to the, the lectures uh, from the monks was controlling the negative emotions. Uh, so hate, anger, judgment, all of those negative emotions that we can have, and especially in business because we can look at competitors and, and go, oh, you know, they're doing better than us and you know, have jealousy um, and, and start looking, uh, looking at others for blame when really um, we just need to look to ourselves and, and just continue self-reflection. You know, it's so interesting that you say, so I had this business and my business mentor, I was talking to him one time and I was explaining to him how, you know, a lot of my competitors were, they seemed to almost be breaking the law. You know, they were doing something that they shouldn't have been doing. And I was complaining, complaining, complaining. One day he stopped me and he said, Dan, do you run their company? Yeah, I, I thought you ran your company. So why don't you just rerun your company and focus on the things you can control and move forward in your life? And I was, it was just an eye-opening experience. Because again, like you said, I was blaming or you know coming up with excuses or you know looking at other people uh, for those answers, and the answer was sitting right in front of me, which is to control what you can control, and uh, and exactly. that goes, and that goes into you know your number two, maintaining and feeding a success oriented mindset. So what what does that mean to you? Yeah, look, obviously that's fundamentally important, and we always all of us get challenged with it. Uh, we're all going to receive um, obstacles that get in our pathway, but 
Um, for me, it's fundamentally important. We need to focus on our uh, on our careers and uh, on our relationships and um, and the positivity that flows from that. And it, look, it doesn't mean that we need to be ignorant, but we need to we need to harness the positive mindset because if we if we just go into the negative and we can get stuck, it's it's everything's going to unravel. Um, because we're not going to be focused on making the right decisions. We're just going to be focusing on blame. Um, so those, as I said before, those negative emotions, we need to, we need to let them pass. Uh, we need to let them go. And I can give you a, a good quick example. Um, Steve and I get frustrated every now and again and, and say, I want to write a book. I haven't written a book yet. I haven't had time to write a book. Uh, I've had other priorities. Uh, but then I was seeing you know, Facebook feeds of competitors that have written a book. And my first thought was I had jealousy because they've written a book. But when I think about it, it's, it's, not my, it's not their fault they've written a book. I was just jealous because they've done something that I want to do. And so I've only got to look at myself and go, okay, well, it's not, it's not their problem. It's my problem. I need to get on with it. If it's so important to me, I'll do it. And, uh, and I, I think that's really part of the successful mindset. And as you said before, controlling what we can control we've got to control the controllable and uh, if we start going outside of that and trying to control things that we can't control well that's when everything's going to blow up and it, it is that positive mindset and i always i always talk to my managers about this even within my company i talk to my kids about this is that you know it's not blind optimism if this building's burning let's get the heck out but it's also just realizing that hey you know that bad things are going to happen and how are you going to view them and and so, you know, how does that affect you? Are you going to let it ruin your day? Is it, is, you hear people all the time saying, oh, it's been a bad day. And I'm like, okay, is it a bad day or is it a bad 10 minutes? Because there's a difference. And you just classified the whole day, which there were probably some great things that happened, some good things that came out of it. But we just get into that mindset. And then, and then you talk about a really important one to me, which is releasing control. Tell us about that. Yeah. And I guess this is one of the things I, I really focused on in, the, in that 10 days that I, I locked myself away. Um, we can't control other people. We can't control outside events. All we can control is our reactions to things, our emotions, our thoughts. So if we harness our focus on the things that we can control, we're going to have more inner peace, we're going to have more clarity, and we're going to make better decisions as a leader. I hired a CEO, and I put their office right next to mine. And I did that to replace myself. I mean, I, I always think if you're the smartest one in the room, go look in a different room. I mean, I hear, I hear CEOs, I hear leaders all the time saying, oh, now everything's back, to, back, you know, good again. I'm now running the sales. I'm like, if you are the most, if you are the best person to run sales, I mean, somebody has to be the visionary leader. Somebody has to dangle the carrot for these people. Somebody has to create that vision that's so compelling that they want to be part of it. And when you're in the weeds trying to sell all the time or you're running a specific part of the company, you know, are you really that leader that you know you can be? And I, I love that releasing control part, uh, you know, letting others step up, letting others make decisions, um, you know, and, and that's all part of leadership. So from a leadership perspective, you know, what does leadership mean to you personally? Yeah, well, uh, for me... I love it. Not everyone loves it, but I, and I love exactly what you uh, you said there. I, I I love seeing people succeed. I love seeing my my team succeed. And uh, if there if there is a failure, well, then we failed as a team, and I'm I'm attributable to that as well. So for me, it's about helping where help is needed, but it's about empowering and developing people. Um, 
you know, it's easy, as you just pointed out, it's easy for us to just jump in and, and solve everything. And uh, But that's not, to me, that's not my style of leadership. I'd rather people try and solve the problems themselves and, and then come to me with a potential solution. Uh, and even sometimes they've got to fail themselves. And, you know, so as a leader, there's no point criticising and putting someone down for failing, for trying. It's about learning what went wrong, what, how can we improve a process, how can we improve a decision-making, and that's how we develop personal growth. And so a very quick example was on Monday, we had a, uh, I had a manager come up to me, oh, Rick, can you sit in this appointment at, at 5.30? We've got a disgruntled client. Um, can you please uh, come in and pacify them? And uh, unfortunately for them, I said, no, I can't. Uh, I want you to do it. And uh, I said, what you need to do is find what went wrong, have a solution for what went wrong, and then advise the client, we're sorry, but this was the problem, this is the solution, and it won't happen again. And uh, But if I keep jumping in as a leader and just and taking over, well, then my team isn't going to be developing their own skills. Well, I think that's great that you allow them to, to succeed and fail on their own sometimes. I think that's, you know, a lot of times we're like with millennials, you know, how do we deal with millennials? They, they want their job to mean something. They want to, you know, well, let the job mean something then. I mean, don't we all want it to mean something? And and by the way, not only that, but let them succeed and fail on their own and, and, and take pride in the success, but also feel what it's like to not achieve the goal you want to achieve because it hurts sometimes. And that's the reality of life. But then how do you pick yourself up and move on to the next opportunity or learn, like you said, learn from the mistake? We, we do all, you know, sometimes have failures and that's just part of life. And I think we can learn a lot from that. Can you maybe tell me a story in your life when you weren't leading well? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I sort of had one reflection, but I, I think a more pertinent one is, is probably more recently is the, uh, with the separation of the, my business partner, um, that caused a, a fair bit of conflict uh, in the business, and um, which it can do because it was a bit. Of, it wasn't the most uh, harmonious of splits at the time, and uh, and so I guess I sort of went distant and uh, and pulled myself away uh, because I found it very confrontational and and distracting, and I'm not a very confrontation based person, and when really what my team needed was for, for me to stand up and show spirit and, uh, and, and keep sharing that vision in that time of adversity. And sometimes, you know, it becomes a challenge and it becomes tough. And um, so, yeah, it wasn't like I was, I was trying to run away, but I, was, I, didn't, I felt disempowered and therefore it was easier for me to avoid conflict by not saying anything. Uh, but then that led to the team being confused and uh, unsure what was going on with the leadership. Hope that makes sense. No, it totally does. And I, I think that that's, you know, again, it's just lead, it's learning from that. So, but then to take that to the next step, how, how do you try to keep yourself on track now? How have you changed that? Yeah, so what I've done is I, I try to commu- communicate more uh, with, the, with my team uh, I've got a, a second in charge which conducts most of the meetings, uh, but I try to jump in the meetings from time to time and uh, and just short, share my experiences. Uh, it's a difficult balancing act because I've got to ensure that I'm not disempowering uh, my second in charge who I want them to grow in the business as well. So uh, when I sit in a meeting and I'm not the chair of a meeting, 
I'm not there to take over the meeting, but I'm there just to support the pe- everybody that's in the meeting, including the person that's leading that meeting. And uh, so, but for me, it's about being present, whether I'm there or not. Um, I can still be there. I can share my views via updates, via email. Uh, I can sit on sit in on the on any meetings or any discussions via uh, the phone or um, you know technological means. And uh, it's just being present when they need me to be present and and not giving the impression that I've sort of disappeared and and, uh, hiding in the background. So this just happened to me. So we were um, in Phoenix watching my daughter play volleyball and uh, for intercollege career. And so we're there and met this this family and she was a a doctor and she you know what she said it's so interesting because she she reinforced what you just said she said you know sometimes there's going to be problems in life and and they're not good ones especially she said in my line I'd have to deal with a lot of pain and suffering for families that we just can't fix and she said but I've discovered that sometimes you just have to be there just present and just there for them and and you you don't have the answer you you don't even want to give them the answer that that it's going to be but it's just being next to them and there and and you know physically like physically in the environment you know and then from a mental standpoint kind of strong for them when they need you she said there's just power in that and it just really hit home that there's no difference from that or or business and we all have tough times in life and I was joking around. If there's a psychiatrist couch over here, we could probably each lay down there for a while and talk for, <laughs> talk for a little bit about some pressures and struggles. But but being there matters. So I appreciate the fact that you're that you're allowing that number two person to kind of step up and lead. But then also you know being there for others and for that person when they need you. And that and that's part of you know the character traits that we have. And is there a specific like do you have a personal character trait that is maybe your biggest asset and at times maybe your biggest liability? And then how would you balance that? Yeah, so so my biggest um, asset is my big picture mindset, um, my aspirational mindset, so to speak. Um, it inspires people. People, uh, you know, people want to follow that, um, which is fantastic. Um, but the downside to that is lacking attention to detail, and I, I know that's a flaw. So for me now, it's a focus of really hiring the right people. So I need to know which people can go into a seat which I need, which are like me, so they're more bigger picture, less detailed, and hiring the right people that are more detailed. So, for example, my second in charge, I, I, I worked on getting them into my company for a couple of years uh, because, A, they're experienced, but, B, they're detailed orientated. And, uh, and therefore, they, they provide the detail that I lack with my vision and my execution. And obviously, at times, that causes frustration and uh, and tension uh, because I get frustrated and they get frustrated because obviously we think completely differently, uh, but that's exactly the whole reason that we're working together. Um, so, and again, it comes back to that self-reflection. By self-reflecting on ourselves, not looking for blame, uh, we can learn where we're good, where we're bad, and how do we compensate um, for the positives and the negatives that we have in our personalities because, unfortunately, none of us are perfect and so we just need to work out uh, what we are good at and then uh, and try not do what we're not good at. So, and, and, okay, so not good at. So I know you talked about the partner thing, but separate from that, you, you know, I, I do think failure is really important, especially if we are wise to learn from that failure. Is there a specific failure in your life that made a big impact on you, like besides the, the partner thing? And, you know, how do you choose to live live going forward based on that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't know if I'd pinpoint one 
particular failure point. But for me, it's more sort of a common theme where, where if I was to reflect on breakdown on relationships, because for me, a re- relationships are fundamentally important. I can accept that relationships or friendships, um, they just burn out because that happens. People's lives change. Um, and so we go in different directions, but you know, we're always amicable. But when we, um, when we lose a relationship, uh, due to poor actions or poor communication, uh, for me, that's, that's a, a failure. And, um, you know, so one thing that I've learned is never to communicate angry. Um, and I'm not, hey, I'm not perfect at it yet either. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure anybody is, but in. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but um, what? Yeah, you know, that's fundamentally damaging for relationships when we start communicating angry. Uh, so, trying to keep that focus, be present, and making the right timing. So, if I could, if I could have my time again, it would be communicating better with all my relationships. So I didn't have fundamental breakdowns in relationships. But it, hey, we're all learning, and it happens. Yeah, I love that you that you separated those. That you know, there's the things you like again that you can control, and then there's the things that you can't. But you can control the way you talk to somebody, or the, you know, the 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 environment in which you're talking. I, like I, I really truly believe that you know, to, this is all part of the emotional intelligence side. That tone of voice matters, word choice matters, timing matters. Like when somebody's down and you kick them, and they're like, "Hey, okay, I'm down. I'm sorry, I did the wrong thing." And you kick them again, they're like, "Okay, I'm down." You know, I already said I'm sorry, and you kick them again. They're like, okay, now that's just mean. I mean, there's just no need. Yeah. And, and, you know, so that yeah. – so actually great way to separate that. I think that's uh, very powerful for my listeners to hear, um, for, you know, from a life perspective, not just a business perspective. So speaking of that well, – As a leader – Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, Dan, as a leader too, like, uh, like, like for my personality, I'm very easygoing, and I'm, I'm always very calm. But sometimes I need to – uh, increase my uh, enthusiasm and and actually show some passion. And so there's been times, in especially in business, where I've actually I've fabricated enthusiasm and passion um, just to to rev people up. Because uh, yeah, if if we need to we need to have judge those moments and, and be aware of them and and be malleable with our personality in that regard. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I haven't looked at it that way just because I'm probably the opposite. <laughs> I'm probably way mm-hmm. too enthusiastic for everything. But then there's also times maybe when I had to go the opposite direction where I had to kind of like tone it down because you're like, okay, you can't be too excited about this. Like this is probably not exactly the time when you can just, you know, go crazy over it and that they're not ready for that yet or it's not the right timing. So that's interesting. And that's maybe the environmental side of it, just knowing what the landscape looks like and you know, how it's playing out and what people really need from you at that moment as a leader and try to give it to them, um, you know, in, in the way that they'll take it the best. So from a, I guess, that business advice, life advice side, what's the best business or life advice that you'd give your kids or grandkids? Yeah, uh, it's been a bit of a repeat theme in this conversation, but for <laughs> me it would always be about uh, always internally looking for self-improvement. So stop the blame game, um, uh, for me, one of the biggest issues I see with people generally is it's it's easy to blame someone else. It's easy to blame the government. It's easy to blame a friend. It's easy to blame a partner. Um, you know, easy to blame, blame, blame. And it's not easy to look within and go, you know what, I've stuffed up, and uh, or I've made a mistake, or I could do better. So 
the more that we go to ourselves and find how we can be better in ourselves, um, the less conflict will be, the better people will be. So just curious from a personal level, what do you, what do, you do for fun in Australia? Uh, well, I do stuff like this, except I do a sports podcast. Um, I've been doing that for six years. Uh, I love my AFL. Um, I, I love uh, I love my exercise. You, we're friends on Facebook. You might have seen it. I, I'm doing a lot of running at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm doing a triathlon or preparing for a triathlon in November. It'll be my biggest one so far, Olympic distance. So, uh, yeah, and obviously uh, a passionate husband and, and obviously my business is my fun too. So what what would make you more fulfilled today? Uh, stronger routine, Dan. I, I, it's one thing that I identified, um, that I don't have a structured routine as much as I would like. And, and, it, and so that's one thing that I've been working on. And, you know, it's, been, it's something I identified two and a half years ago, and I'm still working on it. And I can give you a great current example. Uh, I reflected on my behavior, and for nearly 30 years, I've told myself I'm not a morning person. Right? And if I tell myself I'm, I'm something, well, that's what I'm going to be. And, uh, and so I decided I want to break that routine and take advantage of the morning a bit more because that's where some of the best time is. So uh, the first week, three weeks ago, I, I changed my routine. Instead of getting up at 7.38, uh, I got up at 6.45, then the next week, 6, and then last week, 5. And um, so now I've, I've changed my morning routine within three weeks to, to 5 o'clock and then I read for an hour. And then, uh, and then from uh, six to seven, I uh, I do some uh, business reflections and business planning. And then seven o'clock, I uh, I do some uh, I do some running and uh, and exercise. And so it just shows that we can change our routine if we need to. Which, by the way, for my listeners, is why you took a seven thirty a.m. wake or you know a wake up call to be on this interview or you know to be on this interview today. So I appreciate that because it's much later here in the states right now than it is down in Australia. So I see you're practicing what you preach. You're getting started earlier and uh, able to make it an impact already in other people's lives. I appreciate that. No dramas. It's great. I enjoy it. Yeah, so, so what causes are you passionate about? How how do you how do you act on those passions? Yeah, uh, look, I'm, uh, for me, I'm very passionate about uh, supporting the animals and the environment uh, in addition to the betterment of people, so uh, pretty much everything, I think. Um, yeah, as I said before, currently I'm, uh, doing a, I'm pushing the boundaries and doing the biggest triathlon I've done, um, doing an Olympic triathlon, and, and I'm doing that for the Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, I'm pretty sure you guys have that over there as well. So yes. uh, that's an organisation supporting children and um, uh, trying to, you know, that are in uh, in severe illness and and giving them a wish uh, to try and put some betterment in their life. And so for me, it was okay. Well, these kids are suffering and they're ploughing through. Well, I can push my body and uh, and I can push and do things. And well, there's plenty of people that uh, that do uh, more extreme events than Olympic triathlon. But for me. At 45, it's a um, it's a big stretch goal, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And you know, I started a quest at 40. I weighed 124 kilo, and uh, and I was like, no, I can't continue this anymore. And I made a life pledge that I wouldn't let myself get to that point. And uh, now I hover around 93 kilo, and uh, wow. it's been a big journey. 
Wow, congratulations. That's it's not easy. It's not easy, especially when you're busy, especially when you've got a lot going on. You're trying to build a business and expand and deal with people. You know, we make a lot of excuses why that stuff can't happen. So I commend you Correct. for doing that and making it happen. Is is there someone who's had a significant impact on you as a leader? Can you describe that person and why they impacted you in your life? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a good question. Um, I'm sort of a, a little bit different. Maybe I'm that, that black sheep, that rebel. So I don't follow uh, people um, passionately, but I, I guess the, the modern contemporaries, uh, you've got to respect Elon Musk and, and Richard Branson. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty much the... With the in EO, with the disciples of those guys, I guess they're the uh, you know the figurehead entrepreneurs. But you know what they do with their visions and and you know Richard Branson with his views on how he supports his team and his people uh, is amazing. Uh, for me, I guess longer term because it's a bit of a passion for mine. Uh, I think the Dalai Lama is an amazing leader. Um, you know through everything he's been through and and you know the diplomacy he has to. Uh, continue to uh, show uh, in relation to his his philosophy and his religion in a in a world that's keep bringing messages of peace and uh, respect to each other. Uh, yeah, he's an amazing human being. So, and then to even take it a step further, on a personal level, do you have a mentor? Uh, I have a few. Um, I yeah, it depends on my timing. Uh, so, um, you know, I've used a, a friend of mine, Steve McLeod, for example, in Australia as a, as a business mentor. Um, you know, I've got, uh, I've, I've got a gentleman by the name of Matt Griggs. Um, he's sort of, uh, helps me with my decision-making. He's a, he's a mind mentor. Uh, so I do have a, a few different mentors that I go to depending on, on what I'm looking for, uh, for support. You know, leaders... Also, you know, sometimes look for opportunities to bring others along in their journey. Is there someone you mentor or pour yourself into? Uh, look, for me, it's I, I have a few friends that I uh, that I support. Um, it's really it's it's up to them. If they touch base with me, I'm happy to give them time. Uh, and then if they do reach out to me, I'll uh, I'll I'll reach out back not long after and ensure that they're, they're tracking along okay. Um, but look, I, lo- I love seeing people succeed. So I feel like I'm mentoring every single person in my business <laughs> and, uh, and giving them support. And I'm, I'm supporting uh, mutual uh, colleagues in the same industries that run uh, businesses similar to mine. It's, you know, we can all, we can all be successful and all be better people. And if I can make a little bit of a difference, I'm, I'm happy to help. So, Rick, I'm always fascinated because I have friends who want to start their own business or something. They, they want to take a risk. But as life goes on and you get kids and mortgages and everything, it just becomes more challenging. I guess if, if you could you know, speak to them right now and talk to them about taking that risk, what advice would you give somebody who's, who's looking at starting their own company? I mean, it's a conversation I have with plenty of people like as, as a, an accountant. Um, you just got to believe in yourself. And uh, if you if you fear, well, that you're going to manifest fear, and you're not going to be able to do it. And that's that's the biggest problem I see with let's say let's call it the working class people. Um, they allow their fear of loss to to override everything in their decision making, which stops them uh, or makes them impotent from making uh, career defining decisions. So they just need to believe themselves, drop the fear. 
and we only we only live once, and you know they can take our money, but they can't take our soul, so to speak. So <laughs> it's not it's not even about money, you know. It's like if you lose everything, it doesn't matter. And you know, Australia is a bit of a weird mindset compared to America. Like we're so judgmental on people that you know fail in business, and and some, we call it the tall poppy syndrome over here, and, and people almost want to stop. Uh, friends and family from succeeding because they don't they don't have the courage to do it themselves and and so just believe in yourself back yourself in and have the courage to uh, to do it and I'm I'm sure be prepared and you'll be fine. I love that. Have you read the poem If by Rudyard Kipling? Uh, no, for, I haven't. For, uh, you, first of all, you've got to read it because every line matters. And for those for my listeners, please take that out. Read it to your kids. Read it to yourself. But there's this great line that says, "If you can take one risk." And risk it all and lose at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. And I just love that part, right? It just, you know, risk it all and, you know, you lose, you start over, you just do it again. And I, I think that I talk to my kids about this all the time. I talk to my employees and my friends. You know, what would life look like if we didn't fear failure? You know, it, we'd probably take a lot more risk, have a lot more fun. And, and again, I don't want people to take irrational <laughs> risk, but, yeah. but, you know, to take risk within life, within business, within fun, within relationships. And you just never know what's going to happen, who you're going to meet or what opportunities are along the way. So in, in that same vein, when I speak in my keynote speaking around the topic of legacy and legacy leadership, I often ask people at the end to really think about, you know, how they would want to be described. So I say, you know, if – how will your children describe you to their children? So, Rick. Yeah, well, I'd hope they would um, what, describe How would you want a, to be described? I'd want to be described as a, a positive person, a believer in people. And, uh, and I just, I made my mark and, uh, and made my mark with, uh, with other people. Yeah. And I think you're already doing that and you're doing that right now through this episode. So I really appreciate you taking the time from down under, spending some time with us today. Thank you, Rick. Um, where can people find out more about you? Links, social sites? Yeah. So um, well, I'm, I'm Ricky Landert Newenhoven on Facebook. I'm also uh, Rick Newenhoven on uh, LinkedIn. That's probably a, a more popular choice these days. And uh, yeah, happy for people to reach out and send me a message and, and have a chat. There's, there's no dramas there at all. And we'll include those in the show notes, too, at quigglegroup.com forward slash 040. That's quigglegroup.com forward slash 040. Rick, thank you so much for your time. Uh, if you ever see us an opportunity for us to partner together, let us know. But just really appreciate you being with me today. Yeah, pleasure, Dan. We'll, uh, we'll speak soon, my friend. Remember, you can get a free copy of my leadership ebook about CEO disease at quigglegroup.com forward slash CEO disease. Also, you can get the show notes at quigglegroup.com forward slash 040. Don't just listen to the show. Subscribe in iTunes at quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes. Subscribing helps others find the show. And please leave an honest review. Your reviews help me get better as a host, help me make this show better for you. And share with friends. I'd be grateful if you'd share this podcast with others on social media or send a quick email or text about the show to another leader that you think would enjoy the podcast and that would encourage them on their leadership journey. Thank you.